0: Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling a Fantasy Future, the latest book from University of Southern California Professor of Communication and Digital Media, Jonathan Taplin, is an expose of the metaverse, cryptocurrency, space travel, and transhumanism, and of the cultural power of Peter Thiel, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Andreessen, and Elon Musk. It's published by Public Affairs and brings Jonathan Tappan to our show now. Welcome. Good to be here, Leonard. You accuse uh, these four gentlemen of capitalizing on the low quality of life among America's poor and working classes by selling them a carefully calculated fantasy. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, well, I, I was hoping that you'd give me a sense of what that fantasy is, but Uh,
1: Well, I'm happy to tell you what that fantasy is. Fantasy takes four parts. One is Elon Musk's notion that the Earth is doomed and we're going to have to give him $10 trillion so he can go to Mars and that will come from NASA and the American taxpayer to start a new civilization on Mars. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's fantasy is that uh, within 10 years, most people will be out of work because the AI and the robots will be doing all the work. And you will sit at home uh, spending seven hours, eight hours a day in the metaverse. Uh, you put your virtual uh, reality helmet on in the morning, and you'll take uh, a trip to wherever you feel like. Or, and if you want to pretend that you're Tony Stark, you can you can be in The Avengers, you can date Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, Peter Thiel's fantasy is that we can live to 200 years old um, through uh, all sorts of ways to alter our genes and other ways, and needless to say, only the rich people will be afforded the possibility to live that long. And then Mark Andreessen has a couple of fantasies. One is that crypto is uh, an extraordinary, important uh, currency. And um, the second is that we will be able to fight wars without any human casualties because he's building all the software for the drones and the killer robots that will be our fighting force in the next generation.
0: And you say that they're creating a world where "quote nothing is true and all is spectacle." I guess yeah. I guess that's the appeal. Well, basically,
1: you know, if you think about Elon Musk has um, 130 million um, followers on Twitter, and all of those followers get every single tweet Elon Musk says. If, if you look at the Excellent. the chart of of uh, Twitter stock for the first eight, I I mean, of Tesla stock, the first eight years of Tesla's um, life as a public company. The stock never went anywhere. And then Elon got on Twitter and began to use bots to get himself lots of followers. And then he was able to just create hoopla around Tesla and the stock went up 300%. 300%. That's why he's the richest man in the world today. Uh, so the ability to use the communications platforms, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, is an extraordinary powerful ability.
0: You make a distinction between the new oligarchs and the old ones by noting that the modern tech billionaires are granted immunity for content published on their platforms through Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. I am, I'm sure that that act wasn't passed with this in mind.
1: Well, when Bill Clinton and Al Gore passed that act, no one was thinking of social media. They hmm. had no idea what it was going to be. And so... We were thinking of static websites. And and even though I don't even believe it was worth protecting Google that way, um, needless to say, uh, last a few months ago, Rupert Murdoch had to pay $780 million for defaming Mm -hmm. a voting rights, a a voting machine company. Mm -hmm. And yet there was far more misinformation, lies and everything on Facebook and Twitter But you can't sue Facebook and Twitter for libel because they have this safe harbor um, protection, which is granted only to them, only to the digital media companies. And that liability shield is unique in the world. And so they have a very special privilege. And obviously they hope to maintain that privilege. Yesterday, most of these moguls were in Washington, D.C. with Chuck Schumer trying to influence the direction of artificial intelligence policy. And, and Josh Hawley noted that there hadn't been that many monopolists in a room since hmm. the Gilded Age. Um, so I, I think we have to be careful if we don't want them to do the same thing on AI that they did to us with social media.
0: Now, you've had a rich working life that began when you were the tour manager for Bob Dylan and the band, and then you produced the concert for Bangladesh for George Harrison, went on to Hollywood where you produced Martin Scorsese's two early films, Mean Streets and The Last Waltz, and over the the next 40 years, you produced more movies, ran the grand media mergers and acquisition groups for Merrill Lynch. Now, how did that factor into your writing this book? I mean, it's impressive.
1: I've I've had a sense that the internet has not necessarily been a friend to creative artists. Um, Mark Andreessen said last week that the that AI will save the world, uh, and specifically the world of creativity, art and entertainment, because it will make it much more efficient.
0: Well, um, I never thought so, art was meant to be efficient. I always thought- Well, I,
1: I don't think so either. I mean, you can, you know, I worked for Bob Dylan when I was a young man, and, and you can go down to the Bob Dylan Museum in, in Tulsa, and you can see 10 drafts of the song Like a Rolling Stone. Hmm. Art is a process, and the notion that you can just Pump into a, a chat GPT, write me an anti war song as if I was Bob Dylan in 1965, and it'll do it, but it will be not be banal and lame. And so, what these people want, and quite frankly, what the whole strikes in Hollywood are all about, is the desire of the corporate. Overlords of of media to be able to use these tools to make things cheaper, faster, better, but that doesn't mean they're going to be better. Um, You know, Marvel Cinematic Universe would like the ability to put every single uh, screenplay they've ever written into a large learning model. And then instead of a screenwriter who they used to have to pay $750,000. They'd have a prompt writer, and he would write three paragraphs, uh, Captain America meets the Hulk in Iceland, then um, Black Widow comes in in the second act. And those three paragraphs, in in literally less than a day, the GPT would spit out a new screenplay. Now, for Marvel, there would be a problem in that the the copyright office won't give a copyright to something that's purely written by a machine. So they'd hire some poor broke screenwriter and get him to add a little something and put his name on it. And in three weeks they'd have a screenplay as opposed to the usually it takes a year to get a good screenplay done. And it would be just good enough. It would be mediocre. Yes, but just good enough, which is all they really want because
0: well, that's what They're, a lot of the past f- f- things were as well. They were often complaints that so they were just simply banged out.
1: I agree. But cultures move forward by genius. You know, uh, you know chat GPT is never going to write Hamlet. Chat GPT is never oh. going to write like a Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. And if we eliminate, if we decide that we want machines to make our art, um then I think we're in a big problem. And look at what's happening with the lawsuit between Stable Diffusion and Getty Images. So Stable Diffusion, which is a tool that you can use to create, you know, virtual photographs, realistic images. And how did they train this machine? It took 12 million images that were all copyrighted from Getty, images without permission, Mm -hmm. stripped all the metadata out of them and ingested them into this machine so that I can ask it to make me a picture of Tony Mitchell. And it won't be the work of any individual photographer, but it will look very much like Tony Mitchell. And so nobody will get paid. And, um, you know, needless to say, Getty is suing Stable Diffusion. and, And yesterday, Stable Diffusion announced that it was going to put out a new tool called Stable Audio, which would, quote, generate high-quality music for commercial use. Mm-hmm. Well, how did they do that? Same deal. Take all the songs that they can find on YouTube or somewhere else and ingest them, teach the model how to write a song, and then I just tell it, write me a Bob Dylan song, and it'll write one. I'm not saying it's going to be a good song, but maybe – for someone who just wants a song in the background of a, a scene in a movie or a video game, it'll be good enough. And so we'll be flooded with mediocrity and not to say being flooded with disinformation in the twenty-four election, which is even more of a problem.
0: My guest on today's Leonard Pit at large is Jonathan Taplin, T-A-P-L-I-N. His latest book, The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling a Fantasy Future of the Metaverse, Mars, and Crypto. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. Would you say that all four of your subjects are libertarians?
1: Well, they claim they're libertarians, but they're actually crony capitalists of the First World War.
0: Well, because I I was wondering if they all grew up reading Ayn Rand. who said They all grew up. Well, I didn't. I was told not to. But but she said, if any civilization is to survive, it is the morality of altruism that uh, men have to reject. Well, that's scary.
1: Well, but that's what they want. Elon Musk, when asked by Walter Isaacson if he was going to give his fortune away, like Bill Gates had said, No, I can do better myself than spending it on my own projects. Um, You know, I, I just as a sidebar, I read over the last two days, Isaacson's biography of Musk. And I don't know if you ever saw that movie, Almost Famous, Mm -hmm. in which a young 19-year-old guy was reporting for Rolling Stone gets taken aboard the private jet of a famous rock band. And finds himself surrounded by beautiful groupies and ample drugs and whatever. I mean, I swear to God, Isaacson's book felt like he was the kid in Almost Famous. He he paints Musk as if he's some kind of modern day, bipolar, very pre apic Thomas Edison. But that's not true. Thomas Edison made inventions that helped the average person, made the light bulb, the phonograph. And these were tools for humanity. Musk makes very, very expensive cars for rich people to virtue signal that they care about the environment. He makes very expensive rockets, which the U.S. taxpayer pays for and gives him a 30% profit margin Mm -hmm. for every rocket launch. And he makes satellite systems, Starlink, which he sells the services to countries and militaries like the Ukraine, but still retains the ability to turn them off when they do something he doesn't like, such as trying to uh, move close to Russia or, or bomb the Crimean fleet in Russia. Uh, with drones. He, he just turns them off. He makes his own independence. He's a supporter of Russia
0: in this uh, conflict? What? He's a r- supporter I think, I, of Russia. Yeah, I think he is.
1: Well, He, he certainly doesn't want to piss off Putin. Hmm. He gets a lot of his steel from Russia, and and he's very careful not to get Putin mad. He he also, uh, you know, the journalist Howard Feynman said yesterday that he thought uh, hmm. Musk should be locked up because he violated the Logan Act. He is making, essentially, independent foreign policy as a private citizen. And um, I'm not sure if that's wrong. right. You know, I, I, think, I think there's real problems. Um, like, two weeks ago, he complained that the Jews were damaging his business of Twitter. And, and his rationale was that the ADL had the temerity to point out that once he took over Twitter, he let Kanye West and all the other anti Semites back on the platform who'd been banned personally previously. He got rid of all the content moderators. And then the ADL has the temerity to point this out to advertisers that Twitter is a stew of anti-Semitic hatred. And and Musk says, well, it's the Jews that are screwing up my business. I mean, it's nonsense. But- Not only with the, the stupidest deal that's been made in the 21st century, but he's the one who's caused the problem.
0: But hasn't he been hurt recently by a lot of bad press and the creation of threads as an alternative to Twitter, which... I assume he's renamed X because Twitter was getting bad press?
1: Well, uh, you would think so, but then you get one of these celebratory biographies by a guy like Walter Isaacson, who used to be the editor in chief of Time Magazine, who compares him to, you know, Edison and Steve Jobs and oh, he even. And he's not, he hasn't changed the world. He's just made a fortune for himself.
0: You point out that his grandfather, Joshua Haldeman, founded the technocracy movement in the 1930s. Does that lead to Elon Musk? Well, I mean, Haldeman
1: was a notorious anti-Semite. He eventually left north america he, he spent most of his time in canada but he eventually left north america for apartheid euro south africa because he thought it would be a much more comfortable place for him to live and prosper uh he he certainly opposed the new deal in the most harsh terms that you could imagine and um said many uh anti-semitic things so so i you know, maybe the fruit doesn't fall very far from the tree.
0: Well, you said that he wants to send humans to Mars. Why?
1: He won't tell us. He says that we need to be a multi-planet species. He he told Isaacson that the reason he wanted to send them to Mars was, and, and this is a quote of uh, a. Isaacson writes, another motivation was that colonizing Mars would help ensure the survival of human consciousness in case something happened to our fragile planet, like an asteroid hitting the Earth. So we're going to spend 10 trillion of the taxpayers' dollars to send people to an incredibly harsh environment where we're going to have to bring all our own oxygen. We're going to have to build Shields to pe- keep people from getting radiation poison because the radiation levels are so harsh there that if you were out for more than about fifteen minutes, you'd get cancer. Um, and he he won't give us any other explanation except that we should be multiplanar.
0: No, uh, taxpayers will be paying this through NASA. Yeah, to, to uh, so Musk, that ten
1: trillion dollar bill thing. Think of what we could do with 10 trillion to repair our planet as it is in in terms of just creating a complete renewable energy system or making sure that nobody is homeless or anything else. And yet, this is what Musk thinks we we need to do.
0: But it's not likely, is it?
1: Well, look, Musk believes the old adage from NASA, no Buck Rogers, no books. The idea being that if you don't send a a human being, a John Glenn-like figure on these space missions, then Congress won't ever finance them. Uh, You know, the people at JPL who I spend a lot of time with say, we don't need astronauts on Mars. We've had these rovers up there for years. And they do a very good job of digging the soil. They haven't found any water. They haven't found any minerals that are any different from anything that would you know create some magical new energy source. So what do we need to send humans for? Not only do you have to preserve them, you have to get them back. Mm. And it's it's just it's just a big ego trip, to be honest.
0: Now Let's talk about some of the other terms here. You use the term techno determinism. What do you mean by that? Or is did somebody else well, it? I assume?
1: Well, I've heard the term before I did, I certainly didn't invent it. But but the notion of techno determinism is that since, say, the date when Google went public, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, we have assumed That the moguls, the big tech moguls, know what they're doing and where we're going. In other words, they have a plan for making our civilization a lot better.
0: So are we sliding toward oligarchy?
1: Well, we are already oligarchy. I mean, look at the the plot of the 1% wealth holders versus the bottom 90% of wealth holders. It has since Ronald Reagan been on a straight upward curve for the 1% and a straight downward curve for the 90%. So you know, the oligarchy is not a question. It's, we already have that. Uh, what we really are have to question is why both Republicans and Democrats have allowed Silicon Valley to do whatever it wants to do without any regulation. I mean, we regulate banks far more than we regulate big tech companies. And yet, as you look at the Forbes top 20 people who are wealth holders in America, they're almost all software tech owners. Mm. Um, So I, I, I think these four men see the chaos and the gridlock and and the partisanship as a feature, not a bug. They don't want anything to change. They love the fact that there's no regulation on their businesses. They love the fact that they haven't been, had a tax raise. I mean, in fact, Donald Trump and George Bush both lowered their taxes substantially. Um, and, And quite honestly, since the demise of the labor unions in the 80s, when Ronald Reagan really tried to to hurt the labor unions, the Democrats have looked to Silicon Valley more than they've looked to the labor unions for their financing for Canada. So, I mean, when you get a, a scene like yesterday where Schumer gathers all these moguls in the room and tells the labor union, Guys, wait outside the room and, and we'll come and see you for a second session in the afternoon. You just understand that these people are, want to control whatever happens with regulation, which I'm very skeptical. They want to control that AI is not uh, challenged and that their businesses are not challenged.
0: So this is one of the few areas where we're seeing bipartisanship?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I thought that Hawley's that comments yesterday were kind of interesting. You know, he, not only did he say that, that it was the largest, um, biggest gathering of monopolists since the Gilded Age, he also said, yeah, I in a money that the approach was repeating past mistakes Congress outsourced oversight to tech companies when rules on social media were being developed, leading to unmitigated disaster. I agree with that. And I I don't think I agree with Josh Hawley on anything, but I agree with that. Um, So, I mean, if you look at the facts of all the statistics of what happens with young girls on Instagram, what happens with the deaths of despair from people just Without work, it, it's, it's very clear that social media has been a net negative and it certainly has added to the exacerbation of, of partisanship uh, and disinformation. And quite honestly, the coming election will make 2016 look like a playground because the ability to use AI to create millions of pieces of online this information would be uh, astonishing.
0: What about cryptocurrency, which is uh, a part of the story you tell? Why do you think the Securities and Exchange Commission should have jurisdiction over cryptocurrency, and hasn't cryptocurrency kind of seen its day?
1: Well, it may have seen its day. I mean, look in in the fall of 2021. Anyone who was paying attention began to notice when you would watch football games on Sunday that there was an extraordinary number of ads for crypto exchanges like FTX and Crypto.com. There was Matt Damon claiming the future belongs to the bold. And there was LeBron James and Tom Brady and Steph Curry and Larry David, all touting crypto. They spent... 250 million between about October 30th and the Super Bowl in the end of 2021. So at that point, um, Bitcoin was at 60,000 a coin. And as Scott Galloway of New York University pointed out, about 90% of all the Bitcoins were held by 2% of the hold they were known as the whales. So they put out all this ad stuff and the average citizen floods into cryptocurrency buying at $60,000 a coin and the whales are happy to sell at that price. And by May 1st, Bitcoin is at $19,000 a coin. So the suckers came in, bought from the whales, and lost most of their money. And it's never recovered since then. So, obviously, a lot of people got burned. and But that still doesn't mean that there's any real regulation of crypto yet. You know, Gary Gensler has been trying to regulate crypto, but Congress keeps fighting him and keeps saying, well, it should be regulated by the commodities future trading company, which is... Corporation, which has no commission, which has no enforcement capabilities whatsoever.
0: You are listening to Leonard Lopez at large on WBAI New York, ninety-nine point five FM, and streaming live at wbai.org. Na I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Jonathan Taplin. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of his book, The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling a Fantasy Future of the Metaverse, Mars, and Crypto. To do that, just go online to give2wbai.org to or call during today's show, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. That's give in the number 2wbai.org or 212-209-2950. But don't forget to make that $50 or more donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at large, and we thank you very much. And return to Jonathan Taplin. The book, The End of Reality, is published by Public Affairs. And he is a University of Southern California professor of communications and digital media. Is this book a logical follow up to your previous two books?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I wrote move fast and break things in uh, 2016. And I guess it was kind of the first book on what has now been called the tech clash. Uh, it was the first book to really openly criticize uh, the big social media companies. Um, and and then I wrote a book called The Magic Years, which is uh, more a memoir about the time that I spent working with Bob Dylan and George Harrison and Martin Scorsese and, and, and a bunch of other wonderful creative artists. And, and of course, those books and that time informed my desire to try and understand how tech was hurting uh, the the creative industries. Uh, you know, in Move Fast I tell a story of um, Lee Von Helm who was the drummer in the band who made a, a pretty good living even after the band uh, stopped recording because in the 80s Uh, Everyone moved from having uh, vinyl to CDs. And then Napster arrived in the year 2000, and Levon's income just stopped. And it just so happened that he got throat cancer that same year. And there was a certain point in 2001 and 2002 when he he didn't have enough money to pay for his is healthcare, hmm. um, and it just seemed very unfair that there was on Napster all the band's music available for free, and who who made the decision that music should be free, but you still have to pay for food? Um, so I, I, that's really was the impetus to start thinking about what role the big tech companies had in hurting the creative economy. And of course that now is really a a factor of of what's happening with, with the strikes in Hollywood, for instance.
0: Well, Levi would Helm would would be replaced now by AI, wouldn't he? Are we seeing that happening in recording studios?
1: That's what they hope, you know, Uh and, and, you know, there's, a, there's one, you know, the actors are in strike, and, and nobody's really quibbling over how much an actor should be paid. What they're quibbling about is that the studios would like the ability to uh, scan the body of an extra mm-hmm. uh, and and keep that in a database. Uh, and And so for a one-time payment of $750, They have that extra's body scanned and, of course, can put them in the background, him or her in the background of any scene, put different clothing on them virtually, give them a different haircut, do whatever, and they have free extras forever. I mean, that's typical of the kind of mindset that these people are bringing to our creative industries. And to my mind... That's not healthy. I think that art, and and especially genius, pushes us forward as a society. And it's not going to come out of an AI. I, I promise you. AI will never write Beth.
0: Peter Thiel promotes the concept of transhumanism. Hasn't Francis Fukuyama called transhumanism the world's most dangerous idea?
1: Yes. So let me talk a little bit about transhumanism. It has a, a few dimensions, one of which is this notion of the singularity, which is the idea that within five to ten years, you will be able to merge Someone's consciousness into, uh, artificial intelligence. Right. And that even if the person's body ceases, that person can still continue to be a player. So Peter Thiel, uh, who is definitely afraid of dying, even if he actually died, he could still keep running Palantir, his surveillance capitalism mm-hmm. company. Um, for forever. Um, but it has two other aspects. So Teal would like to live to the age of 200 and he's trying various things to do that. One of which is he goes down to San Diego once a month and gets blood transfusions from 18 year old men.
0: Uh, He says he's looking into parobiosis.
1: Yes. So, so he did a lot of experiments with mice and became convinced that old mice lived longer if they get blood transfusions from young mice. And so he's applied that to his own body in the belief that it will allow him to live longer. Um, He's invested a lot of money into other areas of research in maintaining uh, human longevity well into the age of 160 or 200. Um But the other aspects of transhumanism is what is known as designer babies. So you've done programs on the CRISPR mm-hmm. genetic editing tool. Um, and essentially what that means is that they could test an embryo in vitro and come up with the conclusion that this baby will not be a great athlete or will be only in the 60th percentile of the SAT score. And for an investment of a few million, you could potentially change that outcome. You could make your embryo a great athlete or make them the smartest kid in their class. Hmm. But of course, again, it would only be available to the very rich. So the whole idea of Jefferson's all men are created equal, as Fukuyama points out, would just go out the window. There would be no basis for the American compact if, if either your longevity or your ability to succeed had to do with how much money you or your parents had.
0: So there would be a serious increase in income inequality as a result.
1: Absolutely. But so... You know, AI is going to make a serious increase in income inequality. It's not weird that these four people are the biggest proponents of universal basic income, which is the notion that we won't have work and the government will just pay us to sit home and float around in the metaverse. Um, That's Mark Zuckerberg's whole business plan is based on the thought that, that people would be bored and out of work. And, and, you know, Andreessen said, reality has had 5,000 years to get good, and it's clearly woefully lacking for most people. We should build, and we are building, online worlds like the metaverse that make life and work and love wonderful for everyone, no matter what level of reality deprivation they find themselves. In. I'm not sure exactly what reality deprivation is, but I assume that if you're out of work and have no money, you might feel fairly reality deprived.
0: My guest on today's Low Pit at Large is Jonathan Taplin. His latest book, The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling a Fantasy Future of the Metaverse, Mars, and Crypto, published by Public Affairs. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. You say that, quote, if you tried to do a very powerful regulation and break up a Google or break up a Meta, break up one of these companies, there would be howls from both sides of the aisle because there's so much money being spread around by these companies that the Democrats and Republicans are both in the pocket of the big companies. So this is uh, the, the the rare example of bipartisanship?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, as, as I think I said a little bit before, when Reagan went after the unions and they didn't have the kind of money that they had to spend on politics in the 60s, um, the Democrats looked to Silicon Valley to be their source of money. And both Clinton and Obama really milked that cow for all it was worth. And in fact, a guy like Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO of Google, spent more time in the White House than any other corporate executive uh, during the Obama term. And so along with all that money came the ability to make sure that the regulation never happened. Now, ironically, yesterday uh, the, or two days ago, the antitrust trial against Google actually started. Uh, it was delayed for 10 years under both Obama and Trump um, but it's eventually, it's finally started. And I think it's going to be very hard for Google to make a point that if, if they have 90% of all searches, that they aren't a monopoly. That's not a monopoly. I don't know what it is. So we'll see what happens. I mean, um, it's, it's a little late, but it's not too late. And I I must give credit to Joe Biden for at least hiring some very tough antitrust enforcers, both at the Justice Department and at the Federal Trade Commission.
0: There's been uh, suggestions from a number of people in Congress that we are heading toward uh, a second Civil War. Do you see that as likely?
1: Well, I think it's likely in the following sense in, in that social media is capable of spreading disinformation on such a level with no penalty to the companies that host these um, platforms that if if you can imagine that 70% of the Republican party Still believes the election was stolen, then they must live in some sort of an alternative media universe.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's one thing to blame Fox News, uh, but imagine this that, that, you know, Sean Hannity on a good night might get 2.8 million people to tune in to his TV show. But Elon Musk has 130. Million people that get his tweets every day. And Ross Douthat of the New York Times said that Elon Musk is clearly the most powerful force on the right in America today. So if Musk and Teal, specifically, who call themselves libertarian, but if you look at the candidates they support, like J.D. Vance or Blake Masters, these are people who are against abortion. So a woman has no right to have the freedom or the liberty that libertarians supposedly claim. Uh, they're certainly against certain books being in the libraries in, in their, uh, cities and towns in Ohio and wherever. And so, I don't understand how they can even use that term libertarian. Um, But the point is that they move from libertarian to authoritarian. And that is a big change. And Musk clearly sees himself as, you know, the ruler of all things Twitter. and, And he'd like to be the ruler of all sorts of things in the sense that he didn't like what Zelensky was doing in Ukraine. He just stopped it from
0: happening. Are these people, do they interconnect to all four of your subjects, sit on the boards of each other's companies?
1: They're all interconnected. So so when Musk wanted to buy Twitter, he got both Teal and Andreessen to invest in it. Andreessen and Thiel both sat on the board of Facebook. Before it was became meta, um, Musk and Teal were partners in a company called PayPal. I mean, all their lives they have been interlocking directors, uh, and and they they keep each other very closely aligned.
0: Uh, you uh, didn't Teal once post that competitions is for suckers. Yeah. So,
1: so Teal doesn't like the idea of competition. He likes monopolies. He thinks those are the kind of businesses you should invest in. That's why he invested in, um, Facebook. You know, Facebook has four of the five largest social media companies in the world. So, I mean, he, he's, Teal is another couple of things that he said that have kind of strange one of which is that democracy and capitalism are not compatible oh boy so he's on the side of capitalism needless to say he told the wall street journal that only two percent of the people in america know what's going on and that's the scientists and the venture capitalists and the rest of the people are just sheep And, and so that's his kind of view of the world um And so he's he's of the mind that, you know, this is not that people like he should be able to do what they want to do and make the world. I mean, he's he's gone so far as as you saw in The New York Times this week, uh, proposed to have his own city Hmm. that would have, you know, be run by libertarians and, and, and would not be subject to the laws. Of anyone else at one point he proposed something called Seasteads, which would put a platform out offshore just outside of the 20 mile limit and that would be a completely independent country. He he couldn't get anyone to move to the platform, so he gave up on that one. But but it's I'm sure Elon Musk ever gets to Mars. He's going to run it like a king, not a president.
0: The first project pursued by Andreessen, Thiel, and Zuckerberg is Web3. What is that?
1: So Web3 is the idea that somehow we're going to democratize the web. And as Jack Dorsey pointed out, this is the biggest con of the recent age. Um, Web3 is basically the metaverse plus crypto. So you, everything you will buy, you'll buy with crypto. You will do all your shopping and all your living in the metaverse. Hmm. And somehow the idea that this will be uh, democratized is being brooded about. But of course it's not. It's going to be controlled by one or two companies, one run by Mark Zuckerberg and maybe one run by Mark Andreessen.
0: Well, they're all very wealthy but I don't see th- any of this is happening. So, is this just what they do uh, in their for for a living and in their spare time?
1: Yeah, but it is happening. I mean, they've already spent three billion building the metaverse. People hmm. have already spent hundreds of millions investing in crypto. Uh, Peter Thiel is spending billions to be able to live to 200 Mm. and and you know elon musk to this day will tell you he's going to get to mars i mean he told us he'd be on mars by now 10 years ago but but he's still telling walter isaacson who's a little clueless that that this is going to happen and it, it may not happen but um they're intent on on making, trying their best to make it happen.
0: Now we have just about a minute and a half left. Is there anything else you want to uh, mention before we close this down?
1: I I think that there is a resistance movement coming. Hmm. I certainly think the strikes in Hollywood are part of that resistance. I think the fact that the Writers Guild. Got ten thousand signatories to a letter to the AI uh, barons saying uh, you have to pay us if you're going to you know ingest all our work into your uh, learning models. I think the fact that that the kind of music that was so successful this summer from Beyonce and Taylor Swift is which is much more vulnerable, much less aggressive than the music that we've been hearing from the men is a good sign, so I, I'm I'm kind of hopeful. You know, I I remember a a quote from Camus, uh, the the rebel. He said, "We are at the extremities now, at the end of this tunnel of darkness. However, there is invariably a light, just already divine, and for which we have only to fight to ensure its coming." All of us among the ruins are preparing a renaissance beyond the limits of nihilism. So that's my hope, that, that we have a renaissance and that we resist this notion that machines can replace nature.
0: And I, I hope you're right. My great thanks to my guest, Jonathan Tappan. His book, The End of Reality, How Four Billionaires Are Selling a Fantasy Future, is published by Public Affairs. Thank you so much for being on our show. My thanks, Leonard. And that brings us to the end of our show. My great thanks to Kaziah Glow, our executive producer, and to Reggie Johnson, our audio engineer, for all the important work they do throughout the week. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more about one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our... Nearly 900 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has now surpassed one million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Now, before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the station coming to you. We are going through a rough time, uh, which began with the pandemic, and uh, we're still not really recovered. And so we're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212 209 2950 or by going online to give to wbai.org right now. That's 212 209 2950 or give and then the number to wbai.org. Because we need your help to keep bringing this unique in depth content information you usually don't get anywhere else. As I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more. In the name of Leonard Lopate at large right now, you can receive a copy of the book we've been discussing, The End of Reality by Jonathan Taplin. So why not make that call right now to 212-209-2950 or go online to give2wbai.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy for $10, $15, $20 a month. We'll say thank you to anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more with a BAI tote bag. And we'll be grateful because it allows us to plan for the future. So why not support the only station in the New York radio area that's 100% listener-sponsored with your tax-deductible support. And we are preempted tomorrow, but I hope you can join us again on Monday when Ian Golden will discuss the book he co-authored. With, it's called The Age of the City, Why Our Future Will Be One or Lost Together. We'll see you then and have a great weekend.